Welcome to Hear the Dance. I'm Jared Angle, today's host and a former principal dancer with the company. This is part two of my conversation with the legendary Allegra Kent. In the previous episode, we talked about Allegra's early years, how she started ballet, how she saw Balanchine's La Sonambula in her first ballet performance, which is a ballet we'll talk about again in today's episode. We talked about her first years in the company, her first principal role in Iveziana in The Unanswered Question. And we're going to come back into my conversation with Allegra in the year 1957, when Balanchine returned to the company after a year away caring for his wife, Tannikeel Leclerc, who had tragically contracted polio while on tour with the company in Europe. As I said in the first episode, the reason I wanted to talk to Allegra is because I was supposed to talk to someone about the ballet Agon, Balanchine's masterpiece from 1957. So we talk about Agon in this episode, but I was really so surprised at how close Allegra was to the original cast. I knew she wasn't the original cast, but I didn't realize that she was quite literally there from the beginning. I hope you find this conversation as thrilling as I did. Please enjoy. When Balanchine finally came back, he started doing ballets after mm-hmm. ballets after ballets. And La Sonambula... Your first ballet as an 11-year-old. Yes, it came the back first into ballet I saw. I was thrilled out of my mind. And it's not hard for me to be out of my mind. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I was still thrilled. And Balanchine coached it extensively. I get the impression that some things, he was a little more, once he knew the steps, he gave them to you and you just did them, you know. He trusted the people to rehearse it. He did, but also... And then for certain also, things, he would take a lot of care. Yes, and he this was trusted, but also he coached it. Mm-hmm. And my partners, it was Eric Brune, and he coached oh, both Brune, of wow. us. And so today, because of time and money, they... They can't always bring the person on stage. And they, they have uh, films of my coaching, Janie Taylor. Mm-hmm. But that's flat. It's not looking at the person doing it. And Balanchine coached it. Was it, again, him just showing everything? Like he became the synonymous, synonymous. He became the poet? Or was he giving, was it like verbal or a mix, mix of both? Both of that. Mm-hmm. But in Russia... He actually coached it even more on a huge stage in the Palace of the Kremlins, which was mm-hmm. in the, the Kremlin itself, okay. where Lenin was taking a little rest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for a hundred years, for a long time. And the stage was huge, and uh-huh. he started demonstrating and demonstrating. And the wings were large and long, so Mm -hmm. I could get momentum in uh, in the wings so I could rush onto the stage with a sense of urgency, a great sense of urgency. I was in search of something, Mm -hmm. but what was it? No one knows. I like oh. that. Because even at our theater, there's not that much space w- where she enters to well, get a, it's, a big it's running now, start. Well, it's on the wrong angle, the doorway. So she can't get momentum. Oh, it's because it's a new, a different set? Oh. So you can't get that 
that feeling of search off stage and then come on. And also in that first entrance, the arm should be a little behind the left arm and it shouldn't move. So you don't see a flow of the costume. You just see the dynamic entrance. Mm -hmm. The candle should be an extension of your heart. Mm-hmm. And then the the flame on top, and you're just just walking walk, on walk, point. Walk, 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 diagonal, diagonal. And then that first run, I, of course, I knew what it was, Balanchine, but in Russia. The stage was huge beyond belief, and this was a diagonal. Balanchine took the candle and ran, ran, ran across the stage and stepped over the footlight and stopped, <laughs> like the brakes of a Rolls Royce. Oh, wow. And I thought Balanchine was going to die, but he didn't. He stepped back and handed the candle to me. It was like a challenge. <laughs> yes. And I once coached it in Florida mm-hmm. for Eddie's company, Miami City Ballet. And when I demonstrated that diagonal run, I ran so quickly and almost slammed myself into the wall. And the dancers were so worried because I wanted to demonstrate that idea of it's that danger. danger and, yeah. and also, at that moment poet puts up his arm and their messages in the air I feel that it's like echolocation I sense what he's done even though he's mm-hmm. behind me and I sense the extraordinary danger so it's just not a run and then a all right I'm stopping there's like <gasps> yeah so you're sensing something you're not just fully unconscious person on point. There's, you're there's not, a, no, there's... the whole, you're not <laughs> unconscious at all Yeah. through this whole thing. You're not unconscious. You're sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. It's a disorder, but it's not unconscious. So there is that connection with your partner? No, there's no connection, there's no connection. yet. When do, is there a connection... After that stop, you feel drawn to him, and that those are the choreographic mm-hmm. steps. And then a lot of things go on. I'm not going to describe every step. But then it gets a little playful, but then it gets heartbreaking. The poet tries to put his arms around her and capture her, and it doesn't work, but his arms stay about her, and he bends down backwards on his knees. And the music and that step out is like, broke my heart when I was 11 years old. Again, it's, it's that sort of unreachable, Iveziana woman kind of 
thing. He's he's trying, but, but she's not not exactly. But another another feeling of that. Yeah. But then he's in the corner, and I walk towards him, and he pushes me across stage, and I follow, and that is sort of getting a little more. We're communicating a little more, mm-hmm. and then we start communicating more. With with the uh, choreography, and it gets a little playful. And then he stops me and kisses me. Mm-hmm. And I bure backwards and bure backwards out the door, and he follows our relationship. Mm-hmm. It, however odd it is, it's established. Did you find it easy to be this character? Did it feel yes. like it... It was part of me. It was part of you. Because maybe in some ways it was who I was. But that's not necessarily necessary. I'm using this term. It's not necessarily necessary because it's a dance. Mm -hmm. And when I did it, there was a magic. And actually, the poet directs me to the door with a little finger movement, he's yearning towards me, but there's, I think this is done so that she can go out the door. Oh, he, he directs yes, her yes. while reaching Unfortunately, for her. now in the set. It's kind of like a hairpin turn. To, it, to yes, exit. it shouldn't be that way. It's, it's not that. And then the coquette, of course, sees us and is Incense. jealous yeah. beyond belief and... Helene Alexopoulos was fantastic in that. So Balanchine coached Sonambula, but also... I'll tell you about that. Tell me, tell me the story. Madame Danilova, the original, and I had seen her when I was 11, by chance. She was at a bus stop, the 104 bus stop, and... I saw her there sitting, and she got up, and she said, I hear you're doing La Sonambula. And I said, yes. And she started coaching me at the bus stop. That is the absolute original. And a woman coaching a woman. And she showed me what I should do, how I should feel when I come out after I realize the poet is stabbed. And many details there that kind of like a contraction and then that circling back bend. Oh, when when she finally makes contact with him on the floor. So talk about heartbreaking I wouldn't say contact. I would say she touches his dead body. She touches his dead body, yeah. 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 And then here's something that they neglected to do in the production I saw, is from there, she should walk directly forward. Mm -hmm. And so you understand the tragedy of that moment. It's like she's hypnotizing the audience, and then she curves and goes back to the door and turns. And then the men put the poet's corpse in her arms. And then the men should quickly go down so you can see that vision. 
which oh. I didn't see. So I didn't see her holding him, not stiffly, but holding him and backing out. So you really see that and then disappearing and she's exiting back. Unbelievable moments. You you don't believe that it's possible for this, you know, usually. It's a fireman's tiny, lift. A fireman's lift. So the weight is on your back. But the audience doesn't think about that. No, no, no. They just think, oh. they've already felt like he's dead. Mm-hmm. This tragedy, the jealousy, the evilness of this situation. So Danila coached you on, on Broadway at a bus stop. 104, 104, and I thank the MTA, the <laughs> Metropolitan Transit Authority. <laughs> maybe for that, maybe you had a sh- for that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I would call it not an opportunity, but a glorious moment yeah. that wasn't planned. Did she also mention? Was there something about the the costume? That yes, yes, you're right. She also showed me how the sleeves were in the original costume. And from the wrist down to the elbow and further down to the shoulder, she did this sort of rippling gesture with her fingers. And of course, I watched her. And a day or two later, I was called to the costume shop by Madame Karinska. I mean, it was scheduled. And Madame Krinsky was there, and I tried on the costume. It had a short, puffy sleeve. Sort of like at short, the like elbow. about seven inches from the shoulder. And I said to her, "Oh, oh, I just met Madame Danilova," and I did that sort of rippling gesture. And she sort of Krinsky went back in time and said, "Oh yes," but she made a different thing. What Danilova was showing were sort of like beads, but what Krinska did was sort of like a um, like extension a of the costume, very Japanese, but with long, mm-hmm. sort of like a butterfly, but not exactly. But with beautiful flow, it seems it beautiful. seems so iconic that it's a a mis- yeah. sort of a miscommunication that led yeah. to this beautiful costume. And then the man's costume was pearl gray. Is it pearl gray now? No, because the only white on the entire stage should be La Sonambula, the Sonambulist, mm-hmm. because she must be the only person in white for dramatic effect. It was pearl gray, always. And Balanchine used to go to the costume shop and look at the costumes that Kerinska had made. He'd go over there and see if they both were on the same chord. Mm-hmm. But also they would exchange ideas, um, give ideas to each other. The sonambulist makeup should be very strong. So you see that. 
she's in the white costume, and you really see her eyes. Oh, interesting. I mean, she is going to blink, of course, but it really can take you into that other unreal world. And only she and the coquette are on point. Mm-hmm. In the divertimentos, I think one of them is on point. Oh, the 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 Potacot's on point. Yeah. And the um, whatever yes, the other one's yes. called, the other Potacot. And there's an odd promenade in that mm-hmm. also. And the same in the Sleepwalkers. There's an odd promenade. It's a good phrase. She is holding the candle and he is holding the candle, but they're not holding each other. That looks very difficult, I always I always think. Yes. Strong she, back. Also because she's on the bottom of the candle. And he's, and on, he's the on the top, top leading. But there's so many details. Uh, the idea is to watch the ballet <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if it's presented soon. Did he continue to give notes after you performed it? Or once, once it was on stage, was it yours and you then just kind of... He, in Russia, he, he oh, really, on the big, on he the big really went over every detail again. Because we were in Russia, he was presenting one of his unique works, mm-hmm. along with Aegon and many others. So, yes. He must have been very proud of the reception, or yes. happy. And happy on with the, the first night, I think someone got it wrong. They said there was actually no applause after Aegon, but there was on the first night. Very appreciative, and on the second night, the audience went crazy. Talking about Aegon, when we came down to this recording studio where we are, we were looking at the pictures that are in the hallway. And there was a picture from the rehearsal studio in 1957 of Arthur Mitchell and Diana Adams with Balanchine and Stravinsky sitting there. And you pointed out, you're like, I think that's me sitting in the front. And like right between Arthur's legs in the back, there's about a quarter of of Mm -hmm. your face Mm -hmm. in the in the rehearsal room. What was that room that that time? There's a more iconic photograph of this with Balanchine and Stravinsky conferring, and they're near the piano. And you see on the bench, the bench is full of many, many people. And I'm there. Vita Brown is there. The people from the corps, everyone who was not in the ballet was sitting there. That was the first time I'd ever seen it because I was rehearsing other ballets, and I hadn't walked in to see it yet. Jonathan Watts was the understudy, but I had not seen it at all. And I came in and sat down with a lot of people. It started. It was like, oh, what is this? This is extraordinary. And the first part, and then the pas de trois, first one, the second one with Melissa, And I said to the person sitting next to me, I can't believe this. And she said, just wait till you see the pas de deux. And then Arthur and Diana were in the far corner, and they did the pas de deux. It was unbelievable. The pattern, the choreography, his skin tone, the white T-shirt, her skin tone, the black leotard, 
the choreography, the colors, it was like a piece of modern art, but so unusual, the music, everything. up at the end of the ballet to Mr. Balanchine and sort of, I don't even know what I said. It's just like, uh, and he said, oh, do you want to understudy Diana? I said, yes. Oh, score, nice. Yes. What an extraordinary moment. Yes. And had you been hearing, do you remember like people talking no. about it? Or, no, no. I mean, because you were probably just in your other studio rehearsing five hours so a day. So many other things, but also, Balanchine let people come in the room and watch, unlike Jerry Robbins, who was very closed door uh-huh. in many ways. Did you ever speak with Stravinsky? Did you ever? I, I think I just said a few words to him, but no, I didn't uh, speak to him. So it was obvious that Agon was the thing that we know it as now. It was uh, amazing, yes. special. The world was changing, maybe, in some I kind thought of... it changed the course of choreography. Absolutely. Um, of ballet, for sure. That's yeah, amazing. astonishing. And so and then you started, you became the only understudy of Diana? At that time, yes. But Diana was soon injured. She was very prone to injury. So I started doing it after the Australian tour. I started doing it when I was 21. And So that's uh, about a, like a year after it's... Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so pretty, yeah, pretty soon I was after. 21. I think it was 58. Mm-hmm. And uh, that season. And, and did, had you learned it? Had you just been watching it? and Just watching it and learning it. Were you by yourself, or did you have a male understudy partner as well? No, I only did it with Arthur. Okay. No, when I learned it, I learned it with Arthur. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jonathan Watts ever did it in that era. When you started learning it, did, did it feel natural, or what, what was it like for it you? It was to... not unnatural. Uh-huh. The counts in the first part were very difficult. And Arthur actually, in Russia, he said to me after the second pas de trois, wait two counts in the wings so the stage is completely empty, and then come on, and then we'll tear across the stage. And then... I also noticed that when Diana did some of the choreography, she didn't hunt her back to get the leg higher. She kept her back straight a little bit sometimes. I see people losing their upper body to gain height. I was going to ask, well, in your book you mentioned that Diana was taller. You were not as tall as her, but instead you had other attributes to sort of make yourself taller. You had a higher... Extension. extension I, d- I did. I had a higher extension. But it wasn't about trying to just get your leg up. It was yeah. about being But also, being it, it wasn't about always trying to get your leg up all the time. 
the leg, front, back, or side, should be at different levels. Otherwise, it gets boring. Oh, it's always, oh, just it's always up there. At your ear. Oh, oh, it's always there. That's true. It's always yawn. It's never a hither. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So that was thrilling to do it. Did, and then, and did, did Balanchine, did Balanchine um, coat, did he take a lot of care with his pas de deux when, when, when rehearsing it? With me? Not really. He sort of left a lot of it to Arthur. Oh, but he did say that at one point, you lead her around like she's a horse going to her stable. And it's hard to describe where that happens. Oh, it's and kind of right after the, the sort of ferocious beginning and before And then the, the hook over and then... Yeah. I never did this. I did this part of it three times on tour, but never... That, a lot, but in when teaching it, that was that, that was, phrase was still being mm-hmm. was being used. And then there's that interesting configuration of the four hands. Um, oh, the the, yeah. the arms. Yeah, a lot yeah. of it is is really inter intertwined limbs or arms. Mm-hmm. I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Arthur was wonderful. I mean, I've only seen videos, of course, but yeah, yeah, good so, good partner. Yeah, so wonderful, so musical, and so dedicated to the presentation of what Mr. B wanted. What did you feel like? Was there a particular mood when you were performing Agon, the Potter? Or did, did you have to it, try to conjure anything, or did it just happen? The music was my guide, mm-hmm. and Arthur was my guide. But not always. He's not manipulating me. He's putting my foot there, suggesting that I might want to do that. Or maybe putting my foot there and I finish the sentence. So it's sort of like it's not a conversation, but it's not like It's not just fully just like I'm gonna crank he, your leg and I'm gonna he, do this and I'm No, do that. and it's not like it's like what we're doing now, mm-hmm. but we're doing it with nouns, verbs, prepositions, <laughs> and a few commas, yes. and let's hope a few dashes. <laughs> Getting back to Russia, oh yeah, that was on the first program with Serenade and I think Western Symphony, but I can't exactly remember. Mm. And no one knew how the Russians would like this ballet. Going back, in preparation, our two conductors, Hugo Fiorato and Robert Irving, one of them, Hugo was sent to Russia to rehearse the orchestra because not only had they never heard anything like that, they had never played anything like that. Yeah, I would imagine 12-tone music was not... And it was against party rules. Music had to be... It had to be correct. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of one of the great Russians... um, Shostakovich, he had to compose within the party lines, whatever that meant. Mm -hmm. 
this Aegon music was, no, it could never have been. a huge success and so was La Sonambula. And so you were, did you feel like a great favorite of the, of the Russians? I was. Nice. I was and Arthur was and Eddie was and people traveled illegally to watch the company from Moscow to Leningrad, from Leningrad to Kiev and I think they stopped there. But the other cities on that tour were Tbilisi in Georgia, Valentin's birthplace, Tbilisi, Baku, which is in Azerbaijan, which is so strategic today. Oh, oh yeah. my God. So. These are ex extraordinary tours you guys went on. I can't That was, imagine. I mean, the oil in Baku, mm -hmm. I mean, the wheat uh, from Kiev. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see all the landmarks, not just landmarks, all the cathedrals, all the everything, mm -hmm. because suddenly I was in everything. Balanchine started putting me in everything. Why wasn't I injured? Because the parts he put me in were La Sonambula. I don't say they were easy, but they weren't jump, jump, jump jump. So, La Sonambula, Symphony in C, second movement. Hard. Ballets of that nature yeah. that uh, didn't kill me. Oh, good. Physically. Did you find Agon difficult? No. No. I mean, technically, no. Now I hear people start saying, I heard one ballerina say, oh, it's so difficult about it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It's not. I mean, to do it with the right intention and the right feeling, that's difficult. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point, too, when I was understudying Agon, it was at some point, and maybe Peter wasn't, he was sort of tinkering with it, and there was something where every leg was super high, super high, super high, and he was trying to sort of bring back moments like when the woman puts her leg sort of around the guy and onto the shoulder, mm -hmm. that it's not, you're not putting your toe to the ceiling and then just putting it down on the guy, you're like sort of playing with the space around the guy's head, which would be a lower leg, which might not feel as impressive. Because you want to see the movement of it, the velocity, mm -hmm. not just way up there. Uh, so... Well, that's what you were saying, that extensions have different levels and values that need to be yeah. used. Symphony and C, the final movement. Oh, quite a few tondus, but musically, oh, yeah, how totally, not, totally yeah. amazing. It's like the literally the lowest step you can do while, while standing up. No. <laughs> <laughs> did you do it with many other partners than, than Arthur? I did it with Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre Bonifou. Yes. And I'm not sure who else but I because oh um 
I did it with a few other men, but I can't recall. Because it didn't seem like that many ballerinas did it, right? It wasn't like it was shared by many people. Well, that's hard to tell, but a few, yeah, a few did do it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever coached the pas de deux or the ballet? Oh, I, I did for those Nancy Reynolds. Oh, for the Balanchine uh, Foundation yeah. tapings. But as I said before, they're helpful, but... It's not the same they're as being flat. in a studio. And yes, they're flat, and you, you can't see the dancer and give a present ideas to the person. I like that presenting ideas. Sometimes, so much is focused on just like a, a technical, physical thing. But I, ideas is a nice way to approach being a, a, a I, ballet coach. Ideas and more than ideas. Mm-hmm. You also originated that wonderful Potterdon episodes. Did that feel like an extension of, of Agon, kind of, stylistically, or because it's another uh, bla- not an extension? I wouldn't use that word, but I don't like the word style either. But well, let's just say in that inventive way. Because mm-hmm. the episodes—that's such a striking Potterdon too, where yes, with the manipulation and the sort of acrobatic. Mm-hmm positions that the ballerina finds herself in, upside down, and mm-hmm. unexpectedly, you f- yes. she ends up in a place where you kind of don't understand how she got there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Balanchine. How did I? I didn't understand how I got into the New York City Ballet when I'd never heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> All those books that I took out the ABCs, when I was you. 11 years old, there was... A <laughs> No mention of Balanchine. And oh, when, there wasn't even. Oh. No. I think they were old books. So nothing. There was nothing about Balanchine. When I read the program, I did, had never heard the cor- word choreographer. So I just read the principal dancers. Yeah. Were, were you surprised, like, with your career that you ended up as, as this major ballerina? Did it seem destined or did did it seem a bit like how did this I don't use the word destiny because that's sort of vague and I felt I was going to be a really good dancer but I didn't know what was required because my mother had put me in a progressive boarding school when I was nine years old and that first year, I loved to run fast. I never thought of dancing. Mm-hmm. I just loved to jump high, run fast. The second year, they had folk dancing. I liked that. And they also had three records in the living room. The Grand Canyon Suite, the Notre Dame Fighting Song was like, 20 Swedes went through the weeds chasing young Norwegian. How could those, you know, it's one of those songs at a book um, football rally and then one other one. So I, that's when I started dancing in the living room of the boarding school and sort of in the back part where the Victrola was. In the front part, the boys were playing strip poker. <laughs> How about that? And every once in a while, a housemaster would walk through, and the boys were playing strip poker. And nothing was said because it was a progressive boarding school. 
extremely progressive. <laughs> so anyway. That, that's, that sounds like, I'll use the word destiny, destiny that you ended up being in The Seven Deadly Sins, because that sounds like some kind of stage scene from The Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. Strip poker while you're dancing beautifully oh, in the oh, back. Oh, strip <laughs> poker. Uh, but actually, my roommate in the boarding school, I told her I wanted to be a ballerina, and she said to me, you're not fat enough. Because she had seen ballet in England, and I guess the dancers were heavier because it was the era after the war when everyone was eating potatoes and everything, and they were fatter. So I heard her say that, and I just stuck my stomach out as far as it could go, and I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll get fatter if I have to. But I had no idea. Words no dancers ever said. Ever I had since. no <laughs> idea that there was a body type for ballet. That's so funny. I'd never seen a ballet. I don't, is there any other ballet that you want to talk about? Or? Well, there's so many. There's, there's so, so many. many. Uh, like, I mean... Yeah, oh, there's so many ballets, but I think we've hit on some of the most unusual ones. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, Seven Deadly is the only other one that I can think of, but... The ballet that everyone wants to see again, but is impossible, right? Although we did, we put together a, uh, a with you, with you, for the, with um, Emma von Ank. It, we, uh, you recreated the. Um, oh, oh yes, that was slot. just one sin. Yeah, yes. one, uh, one, yes. one little sin on the yes. east side. Yes, well, gluttony is the gluttony. easiest sin to recreate. Which was super exciting to see because you, yeah. you, you wrote in your book that you sort of choreographed it yourself in a way. Valentine asked me to improvise some things. Some gymnastics sort of exercises. While um, yeah, but or Pilates. But I didn't do anything that was Pilates or didn't gymnastic. I just did odd things for gluttony because gluttony is an odd sin. And you could put a lock on the refrigerator, but... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't entirely help. <laughs> so when you recreated it, it was Emma Von Ank at the bar doing these movements, mm -hmm. and Georgina Paskigan was was. But she was Lottie Lenny with the yeah, gun and with ice the gun cream. and an ice cream cone, making the mm -hmm. poor girl work harder while she ate ice cream. It's very funny, a very funny section. I enjoyed very watching witty. That. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in those days, if the, if Valentine said, oh, do a little something, and you did it, he liked it, good. But if he said that and he didn't like it, he would sort of maybe give him a no gesture. But you see, he isn't here now, so mm -hmm. if someone does their own thing, oh, that's yeah. a certain danger. And also it seemed like steps were no big deal for him. I mean, they were a big deal, but he could just come up with something brilliant Well, kind of quickly. It, it was in him. Jerry was a searcher. He had to search, search, search. Mm -hmm. But Valentina was there. No, no one has the background. That music, the study mm -hmm. of music he had in Russia, he could, composing, he could play the piano, composing. He looked at the score. He understood it. Mm -hmm. He choreographed. 
I remember one time we were on tour and we were in Salzburg, and it was before the beginning of Divertimento number 15, and everyone was on stage. And he came to, he was on stage too, but he suddenly had an idea and he said, I spoke to Mozart last night. And everyone knew he had. And I wish I'd written down what he said. But we started crying. And then we started laughing. <laughs> and then we started crying. I mean, real tears. And then we were really laughing because it was real. And I knew he had really spoken to Mozart the night before. Oh, wow. That's lovely. It it well, in the place of, of Mozart's birth, right? It was lovely. What a pleasure and honor it was to talk to you, Allegra. Thank you so Don't much. Don't say honor. I won't say. Okay, I'm not. It's. I just say it was a pleasure. A, it was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my pleasure also. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to hear the dance. I hope you found Allegra as interesting and funny as I did. And I hope that you are as inspired as I am by the company's history as we embark on the 75th anniversary of New York City Ballet next year. And Allegra just reminds us that there have been so many amazing moments and amazing people involved from the beginning. Thank you very much.